Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hub City Homers, episode 12. We are now back in action after another Big 12 contest. This one was very unfortunate. Or I shouldn't say another. It is the first, but it feels like the season's over already, even though it's very, very early. Um, this was a disaster in Austin. We're obviously going to have a lot of thoughts about that. We probably will spend a good chunk of the recap time focusing more on the state of Tech's program after a loss like that. There is honestly not much you can learn from a defeat of that magnitude, We'll tell you what lessons we did manage to glean, focus on what comes next and the overall health of the program. We will then obviously be doing another preview. We have the West Virginia Mountaineers coming up in Morgantown. That'll be a big game for the Matt Wills era. We'll walk you through kind of what you should expect from the Mountaineers. How can Tech adjust after the disaster in Austin to a whole different set of challenges and what to expect going forward in Big 12 play. So I'm going to start us off tonight and then I'm going to go to Jack and Kendall with the same um, question. The first topic on the board is going to be, I think, the one that has most people, most people up in arms, and that's what happened defensively in Austin. It's it's the kind of thing that even if you don't watch football closely, even if you're just somebody who this is one of the few games you've ever watched, you know, you're a tech grad who it's never been your sport. But you happen to have this game on for the fun of it or at a family member's house or, you know, you happen to get a ticket and got to go to the game just as a fun tailgating experience. Whatever the case, it's the kind of thing that happens and nobody could miss the disaster there. there it doesn't need to be explained to somebody how badly this went for Tech. Which is saying something, because in the history of this rivalry, Texas has given up or excuse me, Tech has given up hundreds and hundreds of rushing yards a game to Texas. I mean, I think, what, what did we have? We have the freshman record tech of Texas was set against Tech a few years ago by uh, Chris Warren. We've had s- most of these games tend to end up in the 50-point range because Tech has, at least for the better part of the last 12 years, not been able to play defense. It's surprising that Tech found a way to one-up all of that. In the history of this series, which at least since the 2000s has been about shootouts, and especially in the last 10 years, Tech not being able to stop anybody, that we found a way to set a new record in defensive futility. Um, I'm, I am using the word defense, by the way, loosely. What Tech did Saturday didn't resemble anything related to defense. So if you're somebody who's listening to the podcast, you want it broken down to the micro level. You want to know what, the, what did Tech do right at any step of all the basics that make up a good defense. And I've been thinking about this, and I, I decided, yeah, let's walk through it. The most basic fundamental building block of defensive football is just, did you get 11 guys on the field for a snap? It sounds simple, but you are subbing guys in and out. So fundamentally, were you able to line up with 11 guys on the field against their 11? I think the count was at least twice Tech was not successful in getting 11 guys out on the field. So no, you failed at the one thing. I didn't think it was possible to screw up this badly. Because here's the thing, Tech got caught by Texas's hurry up on occasion, but on the times this happened, they had they were subbing in mass. They just didn't get 11 guys out there. So okay, you couldn't even get the proper number of players out on the field. Let's go to the next most basic concept of the defense. Could you get lined up in time for the snap? Was the call in and were you able to get lined up in time for the snap? At least 20% of the time the answer was no. 
Tech was either staring at the sideline or you could tell the call was not communicated to everybody in the field. They were constantly looking around. And especially whatever Texas used tempo at all, they didn't get the call in. So no, you didn't get the call in. All right, so we completely failed fundamental defense. Let's move up to the more advanced stuff. Uh, uh, could you tackle in this game? No. I mean, pretty flagrantly, for the first time this season, Tech could not tackle at all. So let's paint a picture. Bijan Robinson is probably a top three back in the nation. I think he's better than Brees Hall, but he's that caliber of running back. He's big, he's fast, he's strong. When you have a back like that, the one thing you should not do is think to yourself, I can arm tackle him, or I can just shoulder check him and he'll go to the ground. Bijan Robinson... Every time a tech player tried to shoulder check him, either shrugged it off, or if it did manage to knock him over, he just used the momentum of him falling to pick up another five yards. So no, we didn't we didn't tackle it all in this game. That's not even talking about the fact that Texas's receivers made the DBs look silly on multiple occasions out in space. Okay, so we're running out of things to even talk about, but an advanced defense. But I guess another one is uh, uh, fundamentally was the scheme sound. Now, I mean, I, I don't I don't think I have to go and make this about rocket science to say that the three-man front against Casey Thompson was a total flop. Uh, he picked them apart. The couple of throws Casey Thompson missed, 90% of them happened when we managed to blitz in his face. We brought somebody up the middle to collapse the front of that offensive line and at least speed up the throw. Because when we when we just lined up in base three and hoped our tackles could get around the or excuse me hoped our ends could get around, they eventually succeeded in that goal. You're an offensive lineman. You're not blocking for seven seconds, but Casey Thompson just stepped up in the pocket because the nose uh, tackle was blocked by three offensive linemen, and he comfortably delivered strikes to wide open receivers. Because here's the last fundamental defense: could you cover? No, we had a just a huge swing a bad luck in this game with injuries. Besides Tyler Shuck, if, if people didn't know, DeMarcus Fields and Adrian Fry both went down this game. So you were testing the depth. You had a backup safety, and for the life of me, I can't remember his name, who came into this game. I believe he recorded the interception and a key pass breakup. But to be honest, that was about it for the secondary this night. Or excuse me, this, this late afternoon when the game wrapped up. They, they didn't do anything else. They couldn't cover. So you didn't do anything resembling defensive football. You know, some of what happened to the coverage, at least you could say, is, well, if you brought pressure, they might have been able to do a bit better in coverage. But how much better? Because nothing else worked. I, I have watched clips of this game, and I am honest to God convinced Keith Patterson did crack on the sideline. Because no rational thinking individual could look at this and think anything other than, why the fuck are we staying in a three-man front? Nobody could look at what he was doing and think this is working and slash or we should just keep doing it because it's the best we can do. Because the definition of insanity, great quote by the way, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. We never did anything different. Hell, instead of bringing more pressure... I think we blitzed truly on the night two or three times out of all of Texas's drives where they just pounded it us in the throat. So, you know, you had a couple of blitz packages in where you brought four guys. I don't know if you ever brought five, maybe once. So true blitz packages, you dropped nine more than you blitzed. That, that's right. We had a two man rush. I don't. I've never seen a defensive coordinator drop a draw up a two man rush against a team like Texas. I I've never seen it. You know, we're going to talk a lot about the defense in this recap, so I don't want to monopolize all of the discussion regarding them. So I'm going to move this on to Jack. I'm just going to ask you, just generally speaking, what did you see? Uh, I saw a defensive coordinator that couldn't get out of his own way. Uh, as you mentioned, it was fairly obvious uh, rushing three wasn't working. I don't understand why you went four quarters of rushing three when they comfortably took care of it all game. It was laughable how bad this defensive front was in this game. Um, you, you just can't 
I just I can't for the life of me understand why there was not a, an adjustment made even after the first quarter. I mean, you're down 14 to nothing and yeah, we scored pretty soon after the end of the first quarter, but I just don't understand why there was no one, not a single coach, even like a even like a defensive line coach or a linebackers coach being like, "Hey, you know, why don't we why don't we blitz a little more? You know, why don't we why don't we uh, influence this game a little bit? You know, let's bring a let's bring five guys. We did bring five guys. I looked it up. We brought five guys one time in this game. Um, you just when you when you got to the guys, to, I mean, you're giving up your linebackers are giving up these little five to seven yard routes, which is what Tech has done all season. It's nothing new. They give up these little five to seven yard outs and quick slants, and they go and make the tackle. Well, this game, there was no tackling. They gave up the five to seven yards and then just tried to knock them down. And basically, the Texas guys were just laughing at them. Uh, This is a prime case. This is all I could think about while I was watching this game. This is a unit that has been told all year, all season, how good they are and how they're the best unit on this team. They're better than the offense. They're better than the special teams. So they got lax. And look what happened. You gave up 70 points to I'll be honest, this Texas offense, I mean, other if you don't give the ball to Bijan Robinson every play, this offense isn't that good. Casey Thompson is not a quarterback that throws for 300 yards and five touchdowns every game. That's not a normal thing for him. He said he set a career high. Granted, I know this was only like his second start or whatever, but he set a career high for 303 yards, I believe is what they said. He threw for more yards against Texas Tech than he did against Rice. Let me repeat that. He threw for more yards against Texas Tech than he did against Rice. Guys, keep in mind when Jack says that, by the way, and everybody thinks, well, didn't they just run the ball against Rice? I'm pretty sure the rushing numbers between the two games were almost like Identical. They so just they were keep that in mind as Jack goes on. They were close. Also, in this sense, if you want to talk about our rushing defense, yeah, you know, everyone, oh, the rushing defense is the best. You know, we held we held FIU to zero yards in the fourth quarter. Man, we shut Houston down. They didn't score any points in the second half. Yeah, well, I think Texas made up for it in this game for both of those teams because they gave up 336 yards on the ground on 52 carries, averages 6.5 yards a carry, and four touchdowns. Bijan Robinson, ironically, only had that one catch that went for 38 yards and a touchdown where he made Reggie Pearson look stupid on that on that missed tackle, but... Bijan Robinson did not score a, gr- a touchdown on the ground, which I found interesting. Roshan Johnson had two. Uh, Keelan Robinson had one. And Casey Thompson had one. So Casey Thompson had six touchdowns that he accounted for. Uh, Xavier Worthy on the receiving end for Texas had five catches for 100 yards and three touchdowns. Averaged 20 yards a pop. Uh, Jordan Whittington, Texas receiver, five catches, 93 yards and a touchdown. That's 18.6 yards a pop. Uh, and you know, a lot of the stats just keep looking like that. All of, if all of the Texas receivers had over 10 yards receiving, if you, if a Texas receiver had a catch, he had over 10 yards receiving in the game. Um, your Texas tech defense gave up. 639 total yards. Um, I just, I really don't, you, you can't, you can't defend it. Um, I've been a big proponent of Keith Patterson in this defense for the first three games this year. Uh, I, I'm still going to be one of those people. I, I don't think Keith Patterson deserves to be fired yet. Um, I don't think in season firings for coordinators or head coaches do anything except deflate a program or a team even worse than they already are after this. Um, but man, uh, something needs to change on this defense. Some of those adjustments need to be made. 
Um, not only did Adrian Fry and Demarcus Fields go down, uh, Marquise Waters also went down with an injury in this game. Um, the safety who you're thinking of was uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson, who got the pick. But I just I've never seen something happen so poorly and so badly, and just nothing changed. There was no adjustments. There was no want to adjust. There's, it was just like they were completely content with what was happening. And I don't know if I've ever seen that in a football game from the sixth grade level, much less a division one power five football game. I just don't understand what the thought process on any of this was. I'm still at almost at a loss of words trying to decipher what happened on on that field. I just, I don't understand. I just, I'm going back and I'm looking through some of these highlights and what they did wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, like you said, it wasn't rocket science. They weren't doing anything like out of this world on offense to make you, you know, question what's going on. They're just, shoving it down your throat. What they did is they controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and they made their presence felt. And that's how they took us to the woodshed. Kendall, I'm going to pose just the same general thought to you or the same general topic to you. I mean, what did you see from tech defensively? Well, you guys covered a lot of the ends, but a lot of what I saw was just, it just it seemed like the defense from the very first snap just like didn't have it and i think we talked about like it didn't look like it's, there was any energy on that side of the ball and i felt like it was just pathetic watching that and they punted the ball one time like this texas team they have not been game breakers offensively all season. Like they against Louisiana, they used a lot of Bijan. The quarterback play all season was inconsistent for them their first three games. And you're having a quarterback starting his second game of the season, and you cannot get any pressure on him. You cannot make his life difficult. Like Texas, we knew what they were gonna do. They wanted to get the ball in Bijan's hands and let him work. And they the first couple drives, they did that with ease. And then after that, they just continued to pick us apart every single drive. And it, you just kept thinking that adjustments would come and nothing changed. And I just thought the coaching was awful all game on the defensive side of the ball. Just, And, I mean, at least it was consistently bad throughout the game. Like, I guess <laughs> – if they're going to be consistent at something, I mean, I just – it's so annoying because we think that at the beginning of the season, we're thinking that this – the defense is going to be the strength when it comes to conference play. And the thing that's going to keep us in games, we thought that was going to be the defense. And they just broke down and looked helpless every single drive. And the, I don't know what the change – is but there needs to be a change on that side of the ball and it needs to happen quick if tech wants a chance at you know salvaging this season i mentioned this i think on twitter is that this was like the least likely outcome to this game because i thought that if one side of the ball was just going to completely let us down it was going to be the offense that's what had happened for a lot of the year um, I, I know the year is very short, but three games is enough for a trend. And the offense was more likely than not unable to move the ball if, if something was going wrong. Um, that's what happened against Houston, happened against SFA, happened for a chunk of the FIU game, which we forget because the end of that game ended so well. But Kendall mentioned something that I think, and I think Jack alluded to this as well, Something that I, I don't understand is that you come out in the first drive. It, it, I expected there to maybe be some coverage bus, you know, jitters. What I saw instead was a defensive unit that looked tired. They looked unprepared from the jump. 
I don't know how you get how, how you justify that. I, I I don't know how you make an excuse for that. That you couldn't wake your best unit up. Because let's make no mistake, you know, maybe Columbia's going to pull it together. We'll talk about the offense here in a minute. But the defensive unit had all of the weapons in the world to finally take a step forward. And you get a chance to show it on national television. And instead of doing anything resembling defensive football, they just looked sleepy. I mean, they just, they didn't look like they cared. Um, I, I, I'm at a loss. Because you can't tell me that the linebackers just forgot how to play football. You can't tell me that the defensive line was okay just running straight up their guy and standing there. And you can't tell me that Keith Patterson, the only coach on tech for the last two years with David Yost, the previous two, who was willing to consistently admit, you know, I got to make a change at halftime. You can't tell me that he just didn't want to. So I, I we're, we're going to get to this, but there, I have questions about what's happening in that locker room. I, I don't have any answers for, for what you do now. Um, I'm going to say this, though. Defensive coordinators have been fired for less. To not hear anything coming out of Tech about something changing about Keith Patterson is, is pretty remarkable. I mean, like, you... There have absolutely been coordinators fired for worse, for better performances than this. Tech fired a coordinator for a better performance for this. We had a guy who was so depressed after a showing that he was doing what we think is cocaine in the locker room watching film while drunk. I think this was worse. I mean, this was one of the greatest embarrassments I've ever seen. From Tech. And everybody wants to go, well, 80, that 82-84 TCU game. That TCU offense was one of the best maybe they've ever produced. That was a 12-1 national title caliber TCU team who I still to this day contend should have been in the playoff. And if it wasn't for horrific weather against Baylor, maybe would have been. Um, Because I think Jack talked about this. And he, he summed it up best. I'm not exactly impressed with what Texas is doing offensively. Uh, I don't think Sark is an innovative genius offensively. He, here's what they, you want I can tell you what most of Texas's play scripts looked like. Outside zone left, outside zone right, play action, pass, wheel route. I think they ran those four plays at least 60 to 70% of the game. Not that there's anything wrong with being predictable and boring, but it isn't this mark of a, of a, trailblazing, shooting, run-and-shoot offense. They were comfortable doing that because they knew it doesn't matter that we know what's coming. Patterson's not going to adjust to it. Defense isn't going to tackle. Guys aren't going to cover. We're not going to sit anybody on Bijan. So, I mean, I this is one of those games where I don't know if you can learn anything. When everything goes wrong, it's hard to highlight any one thing where you can say, that's what we've got to get better at. And that's what's truly depressing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it just... I, we could talk about the defense all day. Um, and I think, arguably, if we had two hours, we would. But that's ridiculous for a podcast. So we're going we're gonna to move on to the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to reverse the order here and go to Kendall first. Um, Kendall, offensively, Shuck leaves early. Uh, what, what were your impressions... From since Columbia's going to be the guy going forward, at least for West Virginia, barring some sort of injury or collapse in that game. Um, what were your impressions of Columbia from this Texas game? Um, what did you learn about him? What are you thinking about what he can do going forward? I felt, given his circumstances that he was thrown in there, he did – the best of what he could, you know, getting thrown into the fire when you're down by as much as they were and going in there and just doing whatever you can. He looked like the only player out there that really was, that wanted to win the game. And I just felt that he was giving everything he could out there for, you know, basically just, 
I don't know. It, he got thrown into such a bad situation. I feel like it's kind of difficult almost to judge based on this game. And I don't think we're really going to know what we have with him this year until next game when, you know, a team has a little more time to prepare because uh, Texas was preparing for a different, completely different style of quarterback and Chuck. And I feel like Columbia came in and gave them a much different look that they weren't expecting. And it worked for tech, but at the same time, you don't know how to judge it because when you're down that much defensively, Texas is just thinking, don't get beat over top, you know, don't let the big play and don't let them back into the game. But I, you know, I feel like we aren't going to have a good judgment on Columbia for even a couple weeks until we really know if he's going to be the guy for the rest of the season or if tech will go a different way. I'll pose the same question to you, Jack, and I'll also put a little spin on it to, to emphasize something Kendall mentioned, which is important to recognize. You know, one, what did you learn about Columbia? And really, two, was there much to be learned about a game like this for him to step in when it was already more or less out of reach? Um, first off, I want to lead off by saying I have the utmost respect for Henry Columbia. Um Stay, staying and sticking with the tech program. Uh, this is a guy who was beat out by Alan Bowman. And when Bowman got hurt, uh, came in and held the team together as best he could uh, with what he had. And then Bowman leaves. So you're kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe this might be my team, might be my squad. And then Tyler Shuck transfers in and you get beat out again, but he stuck with it. And um, so he has my utmost respect for sticking around with the, and just hanging tight with the program, uh, letting it play its course. I don't really think there was a lot to be learned in this game. Um, I agree with what Kendall said. You know, they're probably just playing cover four and they're going to give up those 10, 15 yard routes just so they don't give up the 60 yard bomb over the top. Um, which they still gave up some very long touchdowns and long pass plays. Uh, I think that also you have to factor in that when Columbia comes in, you know, how many of your starters are still playing on this defense? You know, I mean, you're up, you're down 42 to 14, just how many starters is that other team still playing when they're up and they don't want their guys to get hurt, you know, uh, like all of ours seem to be doing throughout the game. Uh, I think we learn a lot more against West Virginia. Uh, God, I'm for some reason, Matt Wells can beat West Virginia. He's never lost to West Virginia. Um, and he's very lucky that if he can keep that up, that he's playing this game right now. Cause if we were turning around after Texas and we're playing someone like OU or Iowa state, we would be having a completely different conversation right now about the state of this program, which we'll get to, but um, you know, I don't really understand. I, I, I don't really think that there was a lot to be learned Again, I don't think that Texas was playing their best guys after they were up 42 to 14. Um, I don't think that um, I don't think they were prepared for someone that had that much mobility like has been mentioned. Um, so I really don't think there was a whole lot to be learned or that was learned. Uh, we'll, we will learn a lot this Saturday and uh, I guess I want to say I'm looking forward to it, but you know, I don't know if I am at this point. When I look at tech offensively, I take a different track than I think where you guys are going with this. Um, Cause I do think you can learn something about while watching this tape, but I actually think it's, you can learn something about Texas, something that's extremely frustrating. Um, Cause if you look at, 
what how long Texas plays their starters. They don't pull them till the fourth quarter. That's you you don't pull your starting quarterback last. It's the first guy out. That was the signal that we're we're calling off the dogs as Casey Thompson exits. Your starters are in the game through the third quarter into the fourth. Um, Texas gives up during that time frame, I think three, maybe four passes of 40 plus yards. And as Jack mentioned, they did go into cover four. Part of why Columbia had all day to throw was one, the offensive line was blocking relatively well for this game. And number two, because they dropped everybody. If I'm a Texas and I got into it with Longhorn fans who don't want to see this, guys, they I just saw they're changing their depth chart because what the coaching staff saw from their safeties was so unbelievably alarming in cover four that they're they're changing who's playing. You know, if I'm a Texas fan, I am scared shitless. What happens when you play a team that has a pulse defensively? Because that's not a good defense. It just isn't. I wasn't impressed by them defensively. Tech drove the ball with relative ease when it didn't just blow off its own foot. I think there was a drive where we had like four penalties in a row on the offensive line, and we still ended up scoring. I mean, it just, they couldn't stop Tech for most of that game. They looked like a bad defense for a lot of that game. Because here's what I expected to happen when Texas goes into cover four. I expected Tech to drive. Because that that from the second quarter on, Texas basically went to a prevent defense. Work on your fundamentals. Work on your coverage. What should never happen is every receiver on Tech's roster getting behind you. Fungi's a backup. These This wasn't as a comma, whom they can't cover outright. This was Geiger, Fungi, Price. Uh, I think even Mannix and Rigdon both got behind them. So if I'm a Texas fan and they can they can pretend all they want, that their defense is the second coming, despite giving up 500 yards of offense and 35 points. Um, I, I'm worried about that. You know that if if Tech had been even remotely prepared defensively, this could have been a game. It really, it it could have been. There are two bad picks, so I would have expected Tech to lose by between 14 to 17 points because you gave up two interceptions and the fourth and six. I think, honest to God, on that fourth and six, it was there. Henry Columbia just tripped. I think he could have scrambled for it or dumped it off. Um, so, you know, I, I think if the, the bigger lesson to learn isn't necessarily about Columbia. I think the bigger lesson to learn is, guys, this Texas loss can end up looking really bad. Besides the fact that it's a blowout, um, I, I think the Big 12 is bad enough this year that Texas is going to win a lot of games. But, you know, I, I think that they're going to struggle defensively. So I, I'm honest to God at this point, I'm almost praying they win the national title. So at least like we, it, when we look back on this, we have like the saving grace of, well, this was just a really good Texas team. You know, I just don't see it as for Columbia specifically, because this is a tech podcast. I don't want to talk too much about Texas, um, but they should be worried about. I thought that what you saw from him was something that should be a big sign of, for the future, a big positive. What would the number one thing he couldn't do last year was go deep. He couldn't go deep. I don't know if it was arm strength technique or what. He couldn't get over the top. Every ball deep was underthrown. He hit these guys in stride and some of them rolling out. You know, I, I, I think that was impressive to me. Um, that's what I'm going to learn about. You know, the offensive line was okay. Running backs were okay. They did, they kind of whatever. Receivers were good. I mean, that, that I, I'll, I'll always come back to this. What's so frustrating is I think if Tech had gotten out of its own way offensively and just shown up on defense, this could have been a pretty good game. You know, But obviously, it doesn't matter at the end of the day because the defense didn't show up, so they get rolled, and that just kind of is. Um, that That's what happens when you don't play anything remotely related to defense. It doesn't matter what. Columbia does, and we'll never actually know what would have happened if Columbia had been forced to face Texas outright in a, in a competitive game. So yeah, I think that the biggest point that you guys made is you're going to find out everything you need to know about Henry Columbia in this offense this week. And like Jack said, you know, you're looking forward to it in air quotes. Um, and we're going to get to this, but football just isn't that fun under Matt Wells. So I, I, I would say, I would say I'm not dreading Saturday per se, but you know, there, there, there's more anxiety there than there's been in years past. Um, and, yeah, I know Texas fans are going to be all over me again for that comment. Um, I think they're a pretty good squad. I just think that secondary's 
that secondary is in trouble. And the fact that their coaching staff is already making changes means that they saw the film and thought the same damn thing. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not right often, but I feel like I'm right here. So, but I thought I was right last week too. By the way, we're one and one for Hub City Homer predictions. So this just happened to be a really big miss for us. Uh, but we're going to move on to a topic Jack referenced and I mentioned at the top. And that's the overall state of the program. What do you do? What do you do after a game like this when you, you're playing what most Tech fans would say is your biggest rival? Um, what most Tech fans would say is the game that they circle every year. What happens when you get up there and you just don't show up? What does this tell you about Matt Wells? What does this tell you about what, what, what Kirby Hocutt needs to be thinking? You know, what do you do next? Um, and I'm just going to kind of open the floor to that generally to Jack first um, and let him, you know, I normally try to ask specific questions, but I'm just going to kind of let him give his general thoughts on what the program, the condition of the program after a game like that. This is my, uh, I guess my state of the union type thing. Uh, state of the program, I'll call it. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm not, you said it, football really isn't that fun to watch right now. Um, I'd like to know how you can confidently say on a microphone that your team is buying in and responding to your coaching, and then you come out and lay an egg against the one team that every single person in your fan base wants to beat more than anything. Um, I just, I can't, I can't get that through my head that you can't get this team to start. You can't get this team to do anything in the first quarter of games. It was like that against Houston. It was like that against Stephen F. Austin. And it was like that against FIU also. It was 100% like that against Texas. This team, I'm actually interested. I don't have it pulled up, but I really don't know. Has this team scored a first-quarter touchdown? It, they might have one. Uh, they have one. I think they scored one against FIU. And I think, oh, no, they had that one that one like uh, screen that broke out for Ezukama against SFA. So you have two touchdowns all season in the first quarter, and they're both against FCS schools. Um, I just I don't know how you can't get your guys up for games because if you can't get your guys up for games, what are you doing? How how can you how can you confidently sit there and say that you have a good grasp on this program and we're heading in the right direction, and uh, you know we're we're improving and you know this is going to be the year that i mean you're i mean let's let's be quite honest i'll lay it out there matt wells is coaching for his job this season because let me lay it out on the line if if none of you have really looked forward to next year yet it's not going to be good i i'm thinking maybe three wins and those three wins might be against the three non-con opponents depending on who we play i don't even know who we play in non-con next year but and we might beat Kansas, maybe. I don't know if that if that staff has them trending and they're actually trending in the right direction, then who knows? They might come down to Lubbock and beat us. And then I guarantee you, you're going to be wondering about your football program after that. But I'm just going to go ahead and preface this: next year will not be pretty. It will be a losing record, and it will be very ugly. So just go ahead and prepare yourself. So this is why everyone was getting so hyped up about this season. But after that, I just I just can't fathom how you can't get your guys up for games. And it's become increasingly apparent. You think Houston, okay, you know, first game jitters. You know, SFA, okay, it's an FCS opponent. It's kind of hard to get up. But it's also the first home game, so you should be up. Uh, FIU, okay, you're looking forward to Texas. You're looking ahead to Texas. Texas, you don't have an excuse. 
you really don't. You have none. And I've I've tried, I've tried, and I've tried to sit here and convince myself that this coaching staff is the right uh, was the right hire, and it was the right thing to do. Um, I'm not at the point of firing yet. Again, I as I mentioned earlier, I don't believe in midseason firings at all for any uh, any position at all on a coaching staff. I think I speak for a lot of Texas Tech alumni, a lot of Texas Tech fans, and most like most of the students probably. I'm running out of patience, and I'm running out of patience really damn quickly. And I think there are some people that have already run out of patience. I, in fact, I do know there are a lot of people that have run out of patience. But I'm I'm close to running out of pretty much all the patience that I have for this football program. I I I agree with you on midseason firings. By the way, I mean you really have to be in a pretty bad shape to think that throwing a Molotov cocktail into your program will make it better. You you I mean there are some tech fans who think we're there. I I I think you got to be like UConn level bad. You know I think USC for instance pulled the trigger way too early on Helton because once you commit to the coach for the season. All firing a coach can do more often than not. I mean, there's almost no chance an, uh, of, of any other alternative. All that's going to do is make guys quit on the year. Or, m- much as likely, they just aren't going to get any better. It, you, you can't run a new scheme this late in the season. Firing a head coach means that just a coordinator is probably going to take the reins. The guy is already there. Maybe you could argue that if you really think your head coach is such a drag on what the coordinators he hired are trying to do, you could maybe justify it. I don't think we're even remotely in that position with with Matt Wells. Um, I don't think he's going to save Tech. I, I don't. I don't think he can rebuild it. I think to Jack's point, you know, you will probably not be good next year. You could be spectacularly bad if Matt Wells doesn't do what he did this year, which is go and raid the transfer market for like 15 guys. Um, I, I'm tired of that being the sustainable model we go with. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of that being the model. I, I thought it would work this season. Yeah, I agree. I, bet- I agree with that. But in just to, not to interrupt you, but just throw one thing. What transfer is going to want to come here if you can't win with, with the best transfers? We were supposedly had the best transfer portal game in the big 12 we still can't win what what transfers going to want to come here yeah and i think that's that's a very fair point because you know i i think one of the reasons this season is it for wells is because you do at some point have to start selling yourself to recruits um to get them you know only schools like texas can suck forever and recruit well. Only schools like Michigan could suck forever and recruit well. USC and recruit well. Um, we aren't that. Uh, so I is this the, the the banner year for Matt Wells? It has to be because you're you. I'm. I don't buy that you're going to be better in year four. Just because even if Matt Wells is the guy, it just would be so incredibly difficult to convince. Guy, enough guys to come in with enough talent to be able to build something resembling a football team to save you in year four. So if you're going to go into a, in, 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 into a deeper rebuild, because Jack's right, next year you could be fantastically awful. Um, you could just be pretty specially bad, for even for Tech's level of futility of the last 10 years. Um, if you're going to do that anyways, I think you go get somebody new. That isn't to say that we could all be wrong, and Matt Wells just flips the script and whatever. It's just, I wrote an article about this today. I'm watching this and thinking, nothing Matt Wells promised us has come true. I th- I don't think he has the locker room. I-, I think those guys either don't like him, or they don't really buy what he's selling, or he just doesn't know how to motivate. I don't know what the problem is. I'm not there. You know, I'm not speaking with insider information. I don't know what goes on in Tech's locker room, but if you can't motivate your team ever to play in games that they should be motivated for, Texas, OU last year. I mean, these are games like, yeah, you might lose these games, 
But these are rivalry games on and on against huge primetime opponents. This is why you go to Power Five schools is to play a team like Texas in DKR on on a Saturday on ABC, and they look sleepy. The offense looked nervous. The defense looked sleepy, and the result is what it is. Uh, I think that Keith Patterson probably should have been relieved to play calling duties, but I I can understand again what what good does it do? You can't change systems mid year. Um, it's it's too early to start speculating about you know buyouts and all that jazz. It's just too I. We're not there yet. I, I'm fully. If you're one of those people who's convinced Wells needs to go now, again, I'll just point to the fact: what are you expecting to change overnight? And then, are you really are you really willing to just mortgage the rest of this year to get him out a bit faster? So I think I think you have to let this play out. I think you let this play out, and if he turns it around, great. Because if he turns it around, there's a chance he could salvage year four by getting transfers to buy into what he's doing by saying, you know what, we had a bad start to Big 12 play, but we rattled off some wins, got to a bowl game, took a step forward as a program, come help me build the next step. But if the wheels spin off this, you got to move on. And I'm going to start this question by going to Kendall, but um, this is probably going to be the most controversial thing said on this show to date, um, our topic discussed to date, because tech fans – have very entrenched beliefs about this, one way or the other. I mean, I still think the majority are leaning a specific way I'll get to later. But Kendall, is Kirby Hocutt in trouble if Matt Wells has to be let go? Uh, I think, really, you could go either way. Because be, Hocutt does have a lot of like successes, and some fans will think will see that his successes – as more than his failures. But I think what it comes down to is football is your biggest revenue generator. And when you're a football coach, you make, you have so many misses. And what is your biggest program, your biggest moneymaker? You know, people are going to lose confidence in you. And no matter how good our baseball or our basketball programs are, if you can't get the football program to the point where they're still bringing in money and they're successful with all the resources that tech has, it just looks terrible. And I don't know how he has struggled with this, with the football coach in the situation with Wells, because there's a lot of resources that tech has and a lot of access to coaches and a lot of people I feel like would come coach at tech given the opportunity because tech ha- does have very good facilities and a very just good they have a, not a great history but good enough to the point where you know I talked I was when we were talking earlier this morning about this but I mentioned a guy like Matt Campbell comes into Iowa State a program that has literally no history, no resources, or anything to lean on. And he can come in within his first three years and has Iowa State consistently making bowl games. But not only that, but he has them on a national spotlight. And Hocutt can't find a coach that can get Tech to the point where they're even making a bowl game consistently with loads of talent even. And we, the program just still can't figure it out. And I feel like there's going to be a large portion of people that think Hocutt should go. And I'm not going to say whether I think he should go or not because I'm at least going to hold out judgment till the end of the season. But if Wells can't get it turned around, I think it does not bode well for Hocutt. We are running a little bit out of time, so I'll I'll keep my thoughts on this kind of brief. Um, and then pass it to Jack before we spend the last few minutes just quickly running through West Virginia. Usually we tend to do this. We're tech podcast. We always end up focusing more on tech. Um, but I think Hocutt's in trouble. I, I think that tech fans are kind of delusional if they think that the guys who fund the athletic program give a crap about track. If they, if they, they don't care about the track national title. They don't care if the women's soccer program wins a bajillion games. They don't even particularly care if baseball continues to win 
you know, they like it. Don't get me wrong. Baseball's the third of the, of the, 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 the trident here, but these guys care about one thing and one thing only, and that's football. That That's what it, these guys are donating for. Hocut at all of his stops has been terrible at football hires. Matt Wells was a hire where Hocut said, I know better than everybody else, and I'm going to take this guy over everybody's objections, by the way. You know, nobody wanted Matt Wells. I don't think there was another school in the nation who was seriously considering giving Matt Wells a Power 5 job. So, you know, I think he's in trouble. I think he's in deep trouble. Um, And losing Beard, by the way, even though I don't know if there was anything he could have done in that situation differently, losing Beard, I think, sealed it. If Matt Wells flops, I am reasonably confident that Hocutt is probably in his last days. Or at the very least, he may not be allowed to make this next football hire. So, Jack, uh, we're just real quick. Same to you. Is Hocut in trouble if Matt Wells can't pull it together? Yes. Um. Not just the. I will point out the fact that yes, this is Texas Tech is becoming a carbon copy of what happened when Hocut was at Miami. Uh. Struggled to make football hires. Yeah, the basketball was all right, and baseball was his strong suit. I think he's probably succeeded a little more at basketball here, uh, obviously getting to a national championship game. Um, But here's the thing. I will just elaborate on the beard thing a little bit. Uh, Yeah, there may not have been much he could have done, but if you can't even make your guy that's been here and that has made a national championship game – at this university, sit down and listen to you just to hear you out. There are problems. And, you know, yeah, you know, baseball is a third of the trident, and I cover baseball primarily, and I love baseball, and Tim Tadlock is still, in my mind, the best head coach on this campus. But baseball is only a third of that trident, like you mentioned. When you have two thirds that aren't really performing, and this is why I think this basketball season is huge, even though it's Mark Adams' first year taking the reins, and yeah, it's primarily a roster full of transfers. Does that sound like anything familiar to y'all? Because it sounds a lot like our football roster, other than the first year thing. It sounds like a roster that's primarily made up of transfers, and who knows if they're going to gel. Can you imagine? If you just transplant just transplant this game over to a different sport, if and God forbid I'm saying this and I don't wish it to happen and I'm not putting it out in the universe to happen, if Tech goes down to Austin in basketball and lays an egg like this, we have major problems. And I think the seat is already hot. I think the seat became hot after the women's basketball and softball situations unfolded like they did. Um, when you, when you as an athletic department get a phone call from a national newspaper saying that they have this story and we'll give you 24 hours to respond before we post it, that's not a good look. And it happened twice. And then you can't keep your, basketball coach that is taking you to a national title and now your second football hires flopping. There are, I think a lot more problems than tech fans care to admit right now. Um, do I think he should be gone? That's not really relevant, but let's, let's, let's tell it how it is. The seat's hot. And if this football season flops, it might be white hot. I mentioned we're running out of time, so we're going to go into a speed run mode here. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some high levels, and then I'm going to let Jack and Kendall predict the game. So high level, West Virginia offensively, Daggy's not good. I mean, their, their quarterback situation favors Tech mightily in the fact that they don't really have one. Um, Letty Brown is a known commodity. He's a great little back. Um, not maybe in the upper three, four, five running backs, the big 12, but that's because honestly the big 12 started to stockpile some pretty good running backs. Um, the problem is, is that West Virginia being bad offensively is a reoccurring theme under Neil Brown so far in his tenure. It's still early in his tenure. Um, but you know, there, I think in 
Morgantown, there is a general sense of unease uh, about the offense. I think that, that there are some some serious issues with the offense that hasn't been corrected now for the, the last couple of years. And the, the, the loyalty he shows his quarterbacks to an extreme, I don't think they like, um, you know, I, I just think that offensively, and I said the same thing about Texas, but I think this time, you know, there's no Bijan Robinson on that side of the ball. Um, if you line up and don't F around, you should be able to handle West Virginia offensively. Um, you know, you may give up points, you may give up yards, but if they're if they're breaking thirty five against Tech Saturday, uh, th- this defense is pretty pretty turning a pretty pathetic performance. I mean, it's just I don't think West Virginia fans are going to complain when I say that they just don't have an offense right now. Defensively, though, West Virginia has been pretty solid. Um, they held OU in check, they held Virginia Tech in check, and they held Maryland more or less in check. They're not world beaters. Um, you know, this isn't an extremely dominant defense, but it's disciplined. It's well-coached, and I think that it, it is the most significant defensive test Tech has faced so far. Um, I think they'll pose a lot more resistance to Columbia than Texas' secondary did, even accounting for all the things that led in to allowing Columbia's – putting all that aside. I think West Virginia is better defensively than Texas is on any given day. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to – I read in some, but I don't want to read in all, way too much on Texas' secondary dropping and prevent and what that meant for Columbia. So just on face value, though, West Virginia is better than Texas defensively if you just line them up in a given day of the week. Um, what does that mean for Tech? It means that if Tech wants to win this game, they need Columbia to use mobility to hurt West Virginia, make them think, and then they need to be able to tack down the field. Uh, uh, defensively, they got to contain Brown. If you can stop... West Virginia's rush attack. Uh, Daggy's not going to beat you, and just if he's beating you, you you got some. I, you know, I'm not saying you fire your secondary coach if Daggy is beating you, but there are some hard conversations Keith Patterson's going to have in the mirror, um, even more so than after this Texas game, because uh, he's just not good. He, I mean, he's like the seventh worst quarterback in the conference maybe eighth I and mean, he he's dug in level bad and morgantown is tired of him i don't i don't think you'll meet many many west virginia fans will agree with me but like i said we're speed running so i'm gonna go kendall kendall general thought call your shot who's taking the game on saturday uh well i don't know how the hell i'm supposed to have any confidence in a tech team that just got whipped 70 to 35 but I, I can't imagine they have two games like that in a row, and I think the defense responds in a good way. I think it's going to be low scoring, but I'll still take Tech, say, 2017. Jack, same to you. Who's taking this game? Uh, let me save everyone a little bit of trouble. If you're going to try and watch this game, they're going to talk about how Tech didn't recruit Jarrett Dagey, even though he was the brother of Seth Dagey and he went to Friendship or wherever he went, Friendship or Cooper, I can't remember. Uh, There's a reason we didn't uh, recruit him, and you're looking at it why. Uh, You're seeing why. He's not good. Um, He's not his brother. He's not even remotely close. Um, I Again, I agree with Kendall. I don't really see how I can pick Tech to win this, but uh, especially since West Virginia is better on defense, as you mentioned, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Uh, Tech twenty-one, West Virginia twenty, and uh, I guess I'm sticking with that. I would love for these guys to get a chance to get more into West Virginia. Like I said earlier, we just always seem to get turned focused entirely on what Tech's doing wrong, and we tend not to have a chance to get to the opponents. I don't think that's a good thing that we have to consistently do that. But it is what it is. We are running right up against an hour now, and I want to round this out. Um, Keep an eye out for Kendall and Jack's articles. Um, If they do have more thoughts that they want to get out there, you may see more from them this week, um, article-wise. But if not, uh, I'm hoping this week goes well, so next week we can really deep dive into an opponent. And just, I, I just think that we've been, because of tech struggles, we just haven't had a chance. Um, I'll call my shot in this game just because I had horrible luck against Texas last week. But, um, I mean, this is a game Tech should win. 
And I, that may shock people, but West Virginia is the kind of program right now that their staple is going to be really hard-nosed defensive football. They ha- it has to be. There's no offense. And I, I'm just going to choose to believe that Matt Wells figures out how to wake up his guys for a game like this. Because if Tech shows up in this game defensively, you should be able to win a very tight one. That doesn't mean you will. I've just kind of resigned myself to the fact that under Matt Wells, football's not really that fun. Um, so we could easily get blown out of this game. But I'm going to call a tough, a close one, call a relatively sh- low-scoring game. I'm going to say 31-24, and I don't feel good about that. But that's where I'm at. So we're going to round this. We're going to close out here. Um, like I said, I would have loved to got more into West Virginia. We just ran out of time. Kendall and Jack, thanks for being on with me. Keep an eye out for going live. It'll be one of these two guys this week after the West Virginia game, especially in a loss. I may be running around the neighborhood screaming. So that is all for us today, uh, this evening. Hopefully we'll have this episode out in time for plenty of questions about what we didn't get to. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about where the program is. And some, if you have some specific questions about West Virginia we didn't have time to get to, please ask. Um, you can find any of us on Twitter. You can ask the Viva account. You can ask our account. Um, But thanks for listening, wreck them, and let's see what happens on Saturday.